Welcome to Pathways. I'm Randy Brutkowitz, and today we're talking with Dr. Drew Bennett. Dr. Bennett received his PhD degree in immunology from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He's now a patent agent for Greenberg Traurig, an international law firm with offices in many locations in the U.S. and abroad. Dr. Bennett works with clients in the biotechnology, pharmaceutical, and medical device industries on a wide range of intellectual property issues. Drew assists small and large biotechnology companies and academic universities to develop intellectual property portfolios, and he draws on his diverse research background in the biomedical sciences to evaluate the underlying technology of inventions. How did he go from a PhD in immunology to a registered patent agent in a law firm? Let's find out. Drew, welcome to Pathways. Thank you, Randy. Pleasure to be here. Oh, just first question from me is you're a, a patent agent in a law firm. What exactly is, is that? And, and tell us what a typical day looks like for uh, somebody in your field. Basically, uh, as a patent agent, I work with uh, scientists and clients from, as you mentioned in the introduction, small and large uh, universities and businesses really all over the world uh, to develop their intellectual property uh, portfolio. So this means analyzing a technology from inventors, say like yourself, uh, to uh, businesses and really weighing the patentability of the invention and uh, basically in light of the state of the art of the technology and also the um, state of the law as far as the law is here in the U.S. and uh, around the world. Um, that also includes day-to-day -day writing and filing uh, patent applications that will be competitive in uh, the space of interest. Um, also, it's a basically a daily routine that we'll be responding to what are called office actions, uh, which are pretty much the way the government will say your application is rejected. And so as a patent agent, you are involved in the whole process of developing arguments um, to overcome uh, rejections issued by the jurisdiction of which you are in to hopefully enable a successful patent uh, application. Um, also it involves uh, analyzing uh, the art as far as uh, freedom to operate and uh, patentability. So doing searches, um, looking at licenses, seeing uh, what types of things uh, are positive for the client and what types of things uh, uh, to look out for. And then there's a whole host of other little things that you do day to day, but um, those are probably the main things I would say characterize the day to day life of a patent agent. Do you have to travel much in, in this business or can you work from home? So I think there's a variety um, of patent agents, patent attorneys out there. And I should also make a distinction right up front. The difference uh, between a patent agent and a patent attorney is. Um, a patent attorney has an actual JD degree so they can actually litigate, whereas a patent uh, agent has only the bar, uh, USPTO bar exam registration, so they can prosecute ap applications but cannot do uh, litigation and even including some things like trademark. But as far as, uh, so there people, I think patent agents um, in general, I only know a handful. I mean, there's only, I think, maybe 40,000 that are currently living, so it would probably fill up the Indianapolis Colts Stadium, I'm guessing. Um, so there's not that many um, out there, but as far as, I think some likely work from home. Um, 
most that I know are in an office. It's not just your typical nine to five job. You are working a better part of at least 10 hours a day, even some weekends. It's a lot like science itself. Uh, if you want good results, you have to put that time in. And so, um, you know, I haven't met a lot of people working at home as patent agents, but if they are listening to this podcast, feel free to buzz me afterwards. Um, I'd be curious to hear how they got to that because uh, it's just not typical. Um, there are, you know, in any field, you'll find somebody that meets that criteria. But as far as this field, it's mainly law firms. Um, it's uh, you're in big cities across the United States, typically. Like here in Boston, there's a lot of firms. Uh, there's some in D.C. and out in Silicon Valley. Um, those are the major places. But um, it's generally an office job that you perform at the office. Clients, you know, are in these areas too. So the job is, you know, very much a client-driven business. So you want to be where the companies are, and those companies are obviously in the big biosphere spaces across the United States. So how did you find out about this type of job in the in the first place? <laughs> As far as finding out about it, um, I was plugged into some patent attorneys while I was at Johns Hopkins uh, doing some entrepreneurial work. And uh, talking with them, they sort of led me down to how to find out about jobs. Um, the school hosted several sort of job days. At, so patent attorneys or patent agents would come and visit us. Uh, so I would just talk to people in the field. I made connections um, with a local uh, patent attorney and I uh, did some volunteer work for her, really, and I learned sort of some of the nuts and bolts of the trade early on. Um, and so it's just really talking with people, making relationships as you do in any field, um, and just being active and being persistent and pursuing uh, certain relationships that uh, turn out to be very fruitful. Wait, when you start as a graduate student, when you went to Hopkins for your doctoral program, what was your original career goal? You know, at the time, we were supposed to answer that question by saying we really uh, wanted to go into academic research. Um, that is the nut and bolt answer if you want to go to grad school, medical school. You, you have to be willing to do academic research as a career. Of course, you're young at the time and you don't really know, so you just say academic research. Um, I guess that's what I envisioned was academic research per se, but um, I, I've had other experiences in life, I would say, that um, were speaking to me at the same time saying, you know, hey, you know, if I found something other than science as an academic researcher, maybe I would at least consider it. And uh, just by gaining a lot of experience in school, kind of one path led me to the next. Um, I think academic research was a big, was the big uh, goal. And it's uh, not something I've abandoned completely, but just simply, I guess, um, you know, when you're in a law firm, it still is kind of like you're doing a lot of research type of stuff. It's just a little bit different because you're not under the pressures of grants and things like that. But um, it was really kind of the whole postdoc route and then, act, you know, then a professorship and whatever it would lead to. So what I like to ask my guests on Pathway is, when were you bitten by the science bug? Really bitten by the science bug when I was a uh, junior in high school. And my science professor, who unfortunately is not living uh, today, said I should not even touch science because at the time I was a basketball player and I just wanted to play basketball and the biology course was just, you know, one of the many uh, ways to getting in. But he made an impression on me and he told me really the, the way to be successful in science, which stuck with me, was to pay attention to the details. And 
he encouraged me. I, you know, I wasn't a good uh, experiment uh, person. I wasn't really good at lab notebooks. But uh, when I went to college, because of what he had told me, I became decent, I would say. And, uh, you know, after college, gaining some more experience, I became, I don't want to, you know, I'm not here to tout my hands as far as experiments go, but his words as far as paying attention to details and being really critical of everything that you see in experiment, that's what really helped me out. Um, and, and just enjoying science. The more I learned the details, the more I really enjoyed it. And I was just fascinated by the details really in college. Um, and it was really, so I studied both ancient languages and uh, biology in college. And I knew ancient languages wasn't really going to pay my electric bill after school. So I stuck out biology and then uh, Johns Hopkins gave me more opportunities to pursue it. And it just really stuck with me. And I really just thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I, I had a lot of satisfaction really just out of the experimentation process and thinking uh, analytically as scientists are trained to do. Yeah, so it sounds to me, based on your answers there, that, that those attention to details are something that you really need in your role as a patent agent. Yeah, even uh, to a whole higher degree, I would almost say, because uh, it gets down to the letter of the law and how you write arguments. Um, it is quite a sophisticated field, and you have to know not only the devil of the details in the science, but the devil of the details in the law. And you have to turn these patent agents are very detail-oriented people um, because it's a very sophisticated art of responding to office action rejections and even just drafting applications. Um, when you see an application, for example, you know, a common, you know, person off the street would think it's something maybe from 1800 years ago, the way it's written in certain language and certain style. You're like, how is this being done in 2017? But um, there are really specific reasons. And, um, you know, even ancient writers, it turns out, wrote in a very specific way. And um, I think patent attorneys kind of have that same sort of specificity where every little iota matters, every little chi, every little new and new they all matter and they all have a significance when reading the text that's how patent applications are very detailed um science papers are included in that you know um we obviously analyze a lot of science papers but um when you're incorporating both the law and science it's uh it's a bit higher of a detailed process is anybody in your family a scientist or are you the first one you know, I'm the, I'm the only one. Um, I do have several kids, and I think they, uh, one wants to be a paleontologist. So as far as my parents, my older siblings, things like that, no, I'm I'm the only one. But my the younger side of me, um, they definitely are very much interested in uh, the sciences, the biomedical sciences, and uh, really, yeah, they're on the discovery path. Um, I think, you know, just, when, when you discover something in science, it is really one of the most beautiful things. And eliciting that um, joy of imagination in young kids is super exciting. And to be able to have uh, some small kids now is a lot of fun and uh, getting them excited about science and uh, teaching them, you know, the basic ideas of controls and DNA. And we have songs about DNA. I mean, it's, it's just crazy, you know, how much kids eat that stuff up. It shows how old I am. Singing songs about DNA, that's pretty good. You, you told us about your, your high school science teacher who really 
made a great impression on you in terms of sending you down the road of, of science and being a scientist. But you also mentioned there was a patent attorney who was, um, gave you opportunities to explore the world. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about her and, and her impact on your career path. Yeah, I think you know, she, um, she, she still is in the D.C. area, and uh, she simply saw some, you know, raw material. She saw me as basically raw material as far as, you know, a developed uh, person basically graduating with a Ph.D., but, you know, there's not really a lot of training out there if you want to become a patent agent. It's, um, in one sense, it's trial by fire. It's, uh, you step into a firm, it's either you perform or, and you know what you're doing, or you're, you're kicked out of it, basically, because you need to know the law. And, but she gave me a lot of leeway, and she showed me, you know, how to uh, draft applications and, it was very informal, but it was one of the steps I needed. It was sort of a, that very first baby step. That's what she gave me. And I guess for her, it was cheap labor. She saw me maybe as a cheaper form of labor as far as what you would find today. But um, in return, you know, I was able to give her, you know, what I thought were decent papers. She would then edit them and I would see her edits and uh, see exactly how a patent attorney would work. And um, she was very helpful in teaching me some of the most elementary um, concepts of the law and helping me develop um, even a deeper interest in becoming a patent agent. So in terms of that deeper interest, was, was there a defining moment, like all of a sudden, boom, yeah, I want to go down this direction. This is what I want to do. I have to find some opportunities to get the ball, get my career going. Yeah, I think that's a great question, uh, Randy. Um, you know, it wasn't a um, Damascus Road moment, if you want to put it that way. There wasn't something where a, a light came out of the sky and just said, boom, you know, you're going the wrong way, go to the way of patent law. I wish there was. Um, it was really a series of, uh, I would say, little steps that uh, kind of took course, took their own course over the term of a PhD to develop. I think it would never have developed over, say, a master's degree timeline or even an undergraduate timeline. Um, a lot of it was experience-driven, and those experiences were simply over time in a certain context that then saw me uh, developing an interest towards patent law. Mainly, uh, it was the connection of law between law and medicine that drew me into it. Um, doing entrepreneurial work uh, with some associated with Johns Hopkins developing some medical products that's where I saw sort of the linchpin of Pat law the interest of Pat law but then it was a, a few steps before that that sort of just got me into being a law I mean we all know what the culture thinks of uh, lawyers it's what I was taught to think but when I um, started first looking at some legal tools um, that then opened me up to what law actually is and then I thought how do I apply that to medicine that then lynched me into patent law and once I started talking with patent attorneys started doing some patent work it was just it was like a thrill of a lifetime going to the state fair it was just an exhilarating experience really because even on this day you're seeing new uh, technology that has not been disclosed to the public or shouldn't be hopefully it hasn't and you are helping people really behind the scenes. And it's literally every day something new, something revolutionary in some sense. 
And um, it's that type of excitement that um, just it drives uh, any sort of per person in the field because it's exciting. It's new and it's, um, you're seeing the, the, the wheels of medicine turn before you know, the public actually sees it. So could you tell me a little bit about some of the work that you did in Baltimore where the, the CARE, the CARE, the CARE uh, Community Association, because when we were talking last week, you mentioned your interest in nonprofits to really kind of helped you along, uh, along the line. Once you see sort of the, the role of the nonprofits in my own uh, saga, you'll then see how I became interested in law because when you're coming out of undergrad, how do you even, you know, if you're a scientist, if you want to go into scientist, law is really a foreign thing to you. So basically um, at Johns Hopkins in the School of Medicine, the first two years you take uh, classes, it's basically full-time classes, maybe a few lab rotations. And I was, uh, my wife and I, we moved in right next to the school and, you know, we thought, hey, being close to work, wonderful. And there was affordable housing. But the problem was, uh, whenever we went to look at this house that we lived in, we only went to it at night, and it was weeknights. And it usually about 7 p.m. weeknights, it was pretty quiet. Um, so it looked like a nice row house, and you know, at night you can't really see a lot of things. But when I started taking classes there, um, there was just a lot of trash on the streets, uh, drug trading. Um, I was, we were really the only Caucasians actually kind of in the area. So it was kind of scary. This was back in 2007 and it was just a very raw, uh, community. There was a lot of vacant housing, um, a lot of vacant lots where there used to be houses. The city had torn them down and these huge weeds, I would call them rainforest. I have another term. We're just growing. It was just like, I mean, like, who would let their existence become like this? And, but we lived there. And so it was uh, my existence. Actually, a funny story is um, there was a postdoc at Johns Hopkins who needed some temporary housing. And uh, I was friends with her. So we let her come and stay at our place. And um, she was there for about a week. And she wanted to stay about a whole month or two. Um, nice, smart uh, postdoc. And uh, the third or fourth night, she heard these loud pops on the street, like pop, 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 pop. And uh, my wife and I, we were out, I think, shopping that night. We came back. I think she was, she was already asleep. The door was shut. You know, obviously, uh, thought nothing of it. You know, this was normal for us. Uh, the next day, though, she left, and uh, I felt terrible. And I was trying to think of, oh, what, what should I say to her? I mean, it was like, you know, this is like February. I can't really say fireworks or things like that. But I saw her, you know, I, I tracked her down at the lab and she just said she knew it was gunshots and she knew that, you know, those really were gunshots and she just didn't feel safe. So I, I respected that. Um, I felt bad about it, really. I felt really bad. Um, and so that was sort of the environment I was in. And, you know, I, I was going through this every, every week. You know, you go into class, you'd see the same exact thing. So it begins to wear on you after two years. And even in a lab, you know, you'd start, say, a DNA incubation at 3 p.m. And it would take six hours. You got to go back there in the evening to take it out of the uh, water bath. And you would just, you would think, are you going to make it? Are you going to be able to get there? You know, you have to call the security van. All this, you know, are you going to be able to get back home? Everyone's telling you it's unsafe. 
And so it was this really just trashed environment by most people's standards. And people told us to move out. People told us to get the heck out of there. It's, it's a silly place to live. What are, what's somebody like you doing in a place like mother, mother knows best type of idea. And um, so that was the context. And I, I thought a lot that, you know, if um, it, it was a realization that if I was going to apply the same rigor in my scientific studies, then I should really look at these issues around me and enter into them. Just like you enter into a scientific problem. You, you, I, I thought, you know, I need to enter into this problem. I don't know how, and I don't know what to do, but I'm not a social person, not a social scientist. You know, I'm not a social uh, studies major. So I, I decided to enter into it. And I did that by, um, I went to a meeting one night. It was like a, in March. And, um, you know, at night as a young uh, grad student, you have a little bit of free time. So I went to a, a, a community meeting is what they called it. And um, I was, again, the only white person in the meeting. And I knew a few people, but I didn't really, you know, connect with um, the neighbors that much just because I was a student. But at the meeting, they were having an election. And my goodness, when I saw the people like being nominated, I said, why not? I'll throw my name in the hat. And they actually nominated this organization. Yeah, Cleaning Active uh, Restoring Efforts Care. Uh, there was just, it was just a fledgling group of people having this annual meeting because they thought they should have it to vote for new people. And in reality, those new people would just be voted. Nothing would happen until you know, a few months and nothing would really take place the next year. So somehow I was elected president that night and I had no clue what that meant. I had no idea what I was getting into. But um, long story short, we started thinking about, um, and this is after, you know, the major examinations were done at Johns Hopkins. So we started thinking about really how do you clean up this area? How, what are some things that you do? And so the first legal tool that I was introduced to was a nonprofit. And we formed a nonprofit, uh, made bylaws, the whole nine yards, and that opened up grant opportunities. And we were able to basically collaborate with many organizations. And it was fun to win. It was fun to win grants while in grad, grad graduate school. And I didn't have the time to apply the grant money. You know, we worked, we had uh, other partners like Civic Works and other just nonprofits that had full-time workers. But I had fun winning grants and we won a lot of grants. And that's really the way we had overcome a lot of the uh, vacancy in the area, even the trash and um, just the housing conditions significantly improved over the course of about five, six, seven years. Um, one of the highlights, even on the stays, uh, I still look at crime maps of the area. And you can see, as you can draw a circle of this area in East Baltimore. And even to this day, you'll see very little crime happening. It's because of all the volunteers that stepped in to um, apply really a legal standard into the community. And we also developed what were called community benefit agreements. And so these were contracts between developers and the community where the developers were or contracted to donate money to provide jobs for the workers. And so all these uh, small legal tools. And so the question I was asking even during that time was, well, how do I um, apply the law to medicine? And so it was while we were in this uh, revitalization group that I was working hard in the lab thinking, you know, I, 
it was fun winning grants, but how do I get the law into medicine? And that's where patent law really started popping up. And I saw the power of the law in this community. I saw the power of the law to really transform a community. And it was an amazing experience for me. And, um, and, and you know, we did this with the people living there, not with bringing in a whole host of new uh, uh, things or new people. I mean, it was, it was a grassroots effort. And so when I saw the law applied in that context, and then I started getting involved with the entrepreneurial group that's on top of this, I saw how patent law really could be this really winning um, time for me. And it's really, patent law really has been that because you win. You know your wins and you know your losses. Um, and the clients get happy with that. So that's kind of like the main sort of overview, I guess, how I got even interested in the law and then how the law sort of transformed me into uh, going down the career path that I am today. If somebody, let's say a PhD student or a postdoc who's listening in to your podcast and, and wants to know, gee, what, what could I do to learn more about patent agent uh, careers? What would you tell them? To learn more about the career itself, there's, um, Various things you could say, hey, go read this, go read that. Relationships with people in the field. Um, a lot of people, there's kind of, you know, there's the batch that says they're too busy to talk to you. You know, so if you just do cold calls, that's going to be a hard way to go. But if you connect with people that are really kind of at that next step above you, they generally are willing to, you know, spend a couple phone calls with you or meet uh, with you for coffee. Um, but if you're serious about entering this field, you should really look at the USPTO's website and the MPP bar exam. And you should look at, you know, is this really the type of thing you want to be reading and doing daily? It comes off as really arcane to a lot of people. So it's a big turnoff, but that's where you need to read it and then actually talk to somebody about it. And you need to talk to someone who wants to invest really in you, just like this person outside of DC invested in me. Um, you need to find people that will invest in you, not a lot, but just a little bit to give you some opportunity to um, look at some draft writing and look at really how the, how the job is done so that you have a, bet, you know, a very solid picture that this is a, you know, worth the sacrifice that you're gonna put into it. So there, is there a professional organization for patent agents? I wouldn't qualify them as professional. There's a lot of there's a lot of patent organizations out there, or you'd say groups. Um, it's not like, it's not a union of people, but um, there's definitely websites out there. Um, so patently low, if you look at that, Google that. And I, you know, even after the podcast, people can contact me, I can refer to other sites. Um, there's generic websites that will basically explain what a patent agent patent attorney does, but you should really um, talk to somebody because they will tell you sort of the details that are behind the veil. There's definitely, in every field, there's a veil. There's a speaker on the front of the stage, but you need to look at what's behind that because those are the, you know, that's where the iron is. And um, people, are, I, I, I have found in general, most patent attorneys and patent agents out there are willing to help people. Some aren't, but you'll find that out pretty fast. So last question, Drew, is, is there a question that I didn't ask that you think I should have asked? I think the best way to sort of 
navigate your career path is uh, to do what we sort of alluded to in this uh, podcast, but that's to start volunteering or start exposing yourself to experiences that are going to then connect you to people actually doing that on a daily basis. Um, and if you're thinking, you know, patent law is not really a jump. It's the same thing as what most scientists and postdocs are doing. You're reading papers daily. You're just not doing the experiment. So it's sort of the, in my, in my view, it's, it's a pretty good way to, way to, to uh, earn a living because you're still on the edge of the science. You're really on the tipping stone of it. But then you have the law to deal with. And um, you need to really see if you want to understand the law and understand the facts of the law and be, you know, apply that to science. So you have to be able to write well. Um, patent writing is its own sort of form. Um, you have to ultimately be a closer. You know, there's a closing pitcher in baseball. You have to be that person if you want to be in patent law. You have to seal it up. And if you aren't able to seal deals, uh, if you aren't able to say write grants and win grants, um, this is not going to be something for you. You have to be able to steal it and win it. And you have to be doing that at a very consistent level at a very uh, quick demand too. So it's not, um, it's the, there are definitely skills that can be acquired, even if it's someone who is simply sitting in the class right now. But you have to be dedicated and you have to be willing to just dive in and uh, get at this stuff just as you would to uh, any experiment. It's the same dive in, you know, working hard daily, even on the weekends, for better or for worse, to uh, to learn the uh, the traits of this labor. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Drew Bennett, for sharing his story of the steps he took, beginning with an interest in serving a low-income community, while earning a PhD in immunology, to ultimately become a patent agent for an international law firm. I also thank all of you for joining us on this podcast today. Remember, you can find us on the Indiana University School of Medicine's website, SoundCloud, and in iTunes under IUSM Pathways. Also, in addition to the audio from our broadcast, for some of our interviews, we've captured the video as well. Join us next time on Pathways as we explore the career path of another professional who holds a PhD in the sciences, which landed them in their current and very exciting non-academic position. I'm Randy Brutko. The theme music for Pathways, Supernova, was composed by Aaron Brightkowitz. Pathways is a production of the Indiana University School of Medicine.